Well, if you're anything like me, it can be a little bit awkward in situations when you're asked to do something that you're just not sure you can do. I mean, I think we've all been there. I think there's always those moments in life, maybe it's at work, when you get asked to do a new project, or there's a situation when you get asked to take the lead in a new role, and you're just not sure you have what it takes. Or maybe you're, you're second string on the football team, and the quarterback gets hurt. Now you've got to go into the second quarter and lead the, lead the team down the field. Or, you know, it's a project at home, honey-do list that you've been just moving to the bottom of the list, fellas. You guys know what I'm talking about? And your spouse is like, hey, are we ever going to actually get this done? And you're looking at YouTube videos as fast as you can to try to figure out what to do. I know I've been there a lot. Or it's at church, right? And you're asked to step into a new role, and you just think, I just don't know that I've got what it takes. And I don't know about you, but when I find myself in that situation, one of two things usually happens. I, I either freeze or I run, right? I freeze or I get out of there. Why is that? What, what do you guys think? Like, what leads us to respond that way? Well, sometimes it's fear. I think sometimes it's insecurity. But I think some other times, it's just a feeling that we don't belong, that we're not in the right spot. I remember when I was in college, I was running from, from God, running from where he was calling me to go, and I was kind of living my own way, and I got connected with Campus Crusade, uh, Crew, if you guys might know him as Crew, and, and I loved Crew, and we started going on Thursday nights and taking part, in, and, and I loved sitting in the seats, I loved raising my hand, I was more of a pocket guy, you guys know what I'm talking about, the little, the little shuffle, right, pocket shuffle, and, and I loved that, but I felt like God was calling me to get involved. And I was like, I, I don't know, I don't know. So I, they, they had a, a leadership boot camp, and I went, and it was actually at my home church at the time. So I'm sitting there, and they were talking about what it looks like to take those steps to start leading. And I, I felt like God was saying, Drew, it's time. Take this step and go. And I, but at the same time, I just felt like I did not belong. I looked around the room, and I thought, I, I don't have the ability to do this. And so I remember I was talking with one of the leaders, and it was a really great conversation, and he was talking about where he could plug me in at, and we had a break, and he said, I'll, I'll meet you back there. And I said, great, where's the bathroom? And I walked toward the bathroom, and I skated out the door, got in my car, and left as fast as I could go. I mean, I hightailed it out of there, and I'm sure he was wondering where I went. But I was long gone. I just felt like I didn't belong. You guys ever been there? Ever been in that, face, you, that place where you feel like you're just not where you should be? Social psychology has a term for this. It's called imposter syndrome. And I think all of us have felt that imposter syndrome at some point or another. It's that feeling that we're inadequate, that we, we don't have what it takes, or that we don't belong, and we end up freezing, we end up leaving, and getting out of there. But I wonder, what if we didn't have to respond that way? I wonder, rather than giving up on something too early and then feeling guilty about it, rather than, than running away from something, or feeling like a failure because we didn't even try, what would it look like if we actually stepped out of our comfort zone? Now, you might say, well, I've done that. Like, believe me, I did it once. I tried, and I crashed and burned. It wasn't good. But what if it's not about your talent? And what if it's not about your ability? And what, about it, what if it's not about your skill level? What if it is truly just about you saying yes and going? How would it shape your faith to know that what God wants from you isn't your skill? What God wants from you is your faithfulness. And what God wants for you, from you is your heart to follow and try. This morning, we're kicking off season three of our, of our series that we've been calling A Greater Story. If you've been with us the past six months, hard to believe it's been six months, 
We've been, we've been working our way through the greater story, seeing that, that God is telling us one story from Revelation 1, or from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, one cohesive story. And we're really in the third movement. We're in the third season as we move into the book of Joshua in a series we're calling uh, Old Kingdom. And my hope for this series, our hope, our leadership here at Forefront, our hope is to begin to understand the reality that I think God wants us to learn that God has a plan for our life, and God's plan for our life is better than any plan for our life could ever be. Like, God actually gives us a blueprint for our life. We want to write our own blueprint, but we need to be able to learn to trust God's blueprint. And, and so the, the hope for this series is to begin to, to, to grow in our Bible literacy, to understand the story that God's telling us isn't these, like, separated, scattered little feel-good stories that all come together at some point with Jesus. No, it's a story that God started at the beginning with God's design for the world and the way it should work. And then God explains to us how sin messed that up. We saw that in our beginning series, that sin messes all that up. And then God decides he's going to make a way to fix the world. He's going to redeem everything that's been broken. And that's what this story is all about. The greater story is about God stepping back in and leading us back to his plan for our life. And not about you, but I love a great story. I love Star Wars. I love Luke Skywalker. I love Harry Potter. I mean, I love them all. But you've noticed there's, there's, a, there's always a theme like every great story we love has a theme. And what's that theme? There's a problem, something's broken, and there's a hero who comes to fix it. Why do we love those stories so much? Because that's the greater story. They're just picky. Luke Skywalker is the man, but he's just piggybacking off the greater story that we need someone to come fix what is broken. And that's what this story is all about. And so I hope that as we dive into Joshua today, as we begin to work our way through the rest of the Old Testament in our new summer series, that we'll see that what God wants to show us is that his plan is right and his plan is true and his plan is best for us. So season one of The Greater Story was the book of Genesis, how we saw God made the world to work and then we kind of broke it and then we see that God create, picks a family in Abraham and that's that family he's going to bless the world through. And we're left with this cliffhanger at the end of season one where they moved to Egypt because of a famine. And in season two, it's the book of Exodus, and we see that God, his people have fallen into slavery, so God raises up a leader named Moses. And God uses Moses to rescue his people from Egypt, crosses the Red Sea, takes them to Mount Sinai, and teaches them what it looks like to live in this new community of faith. But season two ends with a cliffhanger. And God's people say, no, we're not moving into the promised land because of fear. And we see that they wander in the wilderness and live in tents for 40 years. And that brings us to season three today, the book of Joshua, where we're going to see that God raises up a new leader after Moses has died named Joshua, and that God is going to take his people into the promised land. And this is going to carry us through the rest of our summer. So uh, I've titled my message for today, Arise and Go. So if you have your Bibles, grab those, Joshua chapter one. We'll kick off Joshua chapter one. You know, Joshua is a little bit of history on on Joshua. Joshua is a really interesting book. It starts what is referred to as the section of scripture called the Old Testament history. Old Testament history or Old Testament history narrative. And we begin to see uh, God's people move into the promised land and the, the nation of Israel established as a, as a people group, as a nation, and carry it on through to their first king, to King David, and then what will eventually be the rise and the fall of the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And we'll get there over the next few months. But as we go, we're going we're gonna to see some really interesting things that all really start right here in the book of Joshua. 
Joshua is also an interesting book because it's the book of Joshua that often leads critics of the Bible to call God a moral monster or to call God a, a maniac or to call him an ethnic cleanser. If you guys have heard some of that, you guys maybe have read some articles or heard people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is so different than the God of the New Testament. Well, they get that from a lot of it from here in Joshua because we see the army of Israel go in and push out some evil people who lived in this land that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And here's my challenge to you guys. We're, we're going to spend one Sunday on Joshua, right? So we're not going to be able to really dig into it as much. But I want you guys to go back and read Joshua. Because I think you're going to see that if you actually read Joshua and you see how it fits into the greater story, that God is not a moral monster, that he is not an egotistical maniac. Rather, God is a, an all-holy God who is good. And he's not a holy God who is good that judges sin. And then what God is doing is he's using his army to push out uh, an idolatrous, evil people to give his people a fresh start. And so we'll talk more about that if you tune into the podcast this week. We'll talk about this, this idea. But I challenge you to read Joshua because you're going to see how the puzzle pieces fit together. So just a little background there. But one of the reasons that Joshua is so important because it shows us that God is faithful even when we're not. That God is good even when we're not. And at the right time, God keeps his promise and, and brings in his people to their new home. So let, let's dive into Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Moses has died, and now God is calling Joshua to be their new leader. Notice this, Joshua 1.1. 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise Go over this Jordan, the Jordan River, and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So notice what God says to Joshua. He says, Joshua, it's time to go. Arise and go. It's time for you to go and now be the leader of these people. Now, we think, Bible scholars think, that there was about... I don't know, 1.2 million people, 600,000 to 1.2, just kind of depends on the numbers you look at, when they first came out of Israel. A generation of people have passed away, and now their kids are now ready to go into the promised land. And so Joshua, here's a million people now that you're the leader of, cross the Jordan River and take the land. Now, imagine being Joshua. Talk about imposter syndrome, right? He's been following Moses for 40 years. And God's saying to Joshua, hey, Joshua, it's time for you to be the leader. And I'm sure Joshua's thinking, like, wait, like me? Like, aren't you going to raise up somebody else? I mean, Moses was the one who God spoke to through the burning bush, right? Not Joshua. Moses was the one who went into Pharaoh's quarters and said, let my people go so they can go and worship the Lord. Moses was the one who led them across the Red Sea. Moses was the one who got the Ten Commandments. Moses was the one who judged the people, not Joshua. Joshua was his assistant. Like, he refilled the coffee and Check the fax machine and all that, right? I'm sure Joshua's going, I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. Who am I? But notice what God says. God in no way in this section says, well, Joshua, I need you to go take this leadership class, or Joshua, I need you to use your might and your skill. He literally says, arise and go. Like, literally go. And this is what I think is so beautiful about this section. It, it, I think it's really powerful. I don't want you to get, miss this, guys. If you guys are taking notes, notice this. God doesn't call us to step out and trust in our ability or our skill or our talent. No, God just calls us to follow him. 
Notice this. The impact of your life isn't determined by your ability, but by trusting in God's. Like, like notice what God has said here. He said, Joshua, Moses died, and I want you people into the land that I am giving them, that God is giving them, not to the land that they're going to take on their own, but to the land that God has given them. See, it's not about your skill, your ability, your talent. It's literally just about going because it's about God's ability, God's talent, and God's skill. Notice what God says in verse 3 to Joshua. Notice this. He says, every place that, I, that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. He's reminding Joshua, hey, for 40 years, like, I've been telling you guys this. Like, get ready to go. He says, every place that your sole of your foot even touches, I will give to you. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river of the Euphrates, all to the land of Hittites, to the great sea, towards the going down to the sun. This shall all be your territory. He says in verse 5 that no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. Notice this. So I will be with you, he says. I will not leave you or forsake you. Notice verse 6. So be strong. Be courageous. Joshua, I know you don't think you can do it. You can't. Joshua, I know you don't think you have the skill. You don't. Joshua, I know you don't think you have the ability. You don't. But I do. I will be with you. I will be with you. So be strong and be courageous, for you shall call this, cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers to give them. Notice, don't miss that. God says, look, every place your foot treads, it's yours. No one was going to be able to stand against you. And it's not because he had the battle strategy of Napoleon. And it's not because he had the leadership skills of Julius Caesar. And it's not because he had the, the, just the, the grit of William Wallace. No, it was because... God was with him. The only reason, reason this was going to work was because God was with him. See, God teaches us a really powerful lesson here, that real faith doesn't just believe in God. Notice this. Real faith doesn't just believe in God. It believes God. So you could say, well, I believe in God. Like, I believe God made all this. I believe God loves us. I believe God sent Jesus here for us. I believe God's in control. I believe those things mentally. But do you believe God? When God says, I'm going to be with you, do you believe God? When God says, I'm going to go and give this to you, do you believe him? Or do you believe in him? It's important that we believe in him. But do you believe him? When he reminds you of his promises, do you believe him? See, don't miss that a believing faith is more than just saying, I believe in God. A believing faith is believing that God says, I will do this, and it responds to me. My response is, I'm going to act out of faith, and I'm going to do what God calls me to do. There's this great verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Go back and read it later, but Matthew is talking in the Sermon on the Mount about anxiety, which we all battle. I know I do a lot, and God is saying, hey, don't be, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or, or these kind of things. He says, doesn't God take care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air? And he says, aren't you more than them? Like, aren't you more important to God than birds and lilies? And let me ask you, any bird watchers? You guys just love, maybe you got like one, one bird watcher? Okay, we want to learn from you because I hear it's good, right? I hear it's good. It's like, have you ever noticed the birds? Do you ever see a bird just like, oh my gosh, where am I going to get my nest at? Oh man, 
Like, oh, I, I haven't seen any worms all day, even though I've only looked for like two minutes. Like, no, birds just work. They build nests, they fly. Birds aren't just like hanging around waiting for God to drop a worm in their mouth. Not like they're, after, they're getting after it, right? They're just working hard. They're trusting that they're going to get what they need. So Jesus, what does he say in Matthew 6, He says, seek first God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of your heavenly Father, and all these things are going to get added to you, all the things that make you anxious, most of the things that make you anxious at least. And so, so I think there's this idea, like God wants us to work. God wants us to, to step out in faith. God wants us to arise and go, as he tells Joshua. Kent Hughes, in his commentary I was reading this week, he says this. He says, we show that we really believe God's promises only when we begin to obey his commands. Now that's like, uh, you know, that was like a gut punch for me, right? Like, I believe in God, but do you believe God? Well, how do you know? Do you obey what he tells you to do? Do you follow him? Do you put one foot after another when he tells you to do this or that? Because that'll tell you whether you're believing in or you're believing him. So I want you to notice something. This is really, this is really cool. Notice this back in verse 3 and 4. God told Joshua, you shall cause the people to inherit the land. Like, Joshua, if you don't go, the people don't inherit the land. Like, if the people are going to inherit the land, Joshua, you actually have to go, and you have to lead them to where I want them to go. And, and notice what he says about the land. He says, just go and take it. Notice this. Verse 3 again. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, Euphrates, to the land of the Hittites and the great sea, forward down to, to the sun, which is Egypt. Now, here's a little map. Let me show you this. This is a little map. So the, if you, Bible scholars can debate this, and this is not the greatest picture, but this is about the land that God promised to the people. Egypt, Iraq, all the way up to Syria, Lebanon, and then, of course, Jerusalem. Now, I've got another map here to show you in a second. So when they went in, they, you see the number two there, the little yellow? Now zoom in to the next picture. This, this is that area. So God promised the people of Israel about 300,000 square miles. Somebody say 300,000. 300,000 square miles. When they went and Joshua and his people went in, guess how much they took? 30,000. That's it. That's all they took. Why? That's where their feet treaded. That's where their souls treaded. One-tenth of what God promised they took. Why? Did God not deliver on his promise? No, they just didn't go. Go back to the first picture, if we could. Go back one more slide. They could have gone all of that, but they only went to the yellow. What is God calling you to go? Where is he calling you to go? Where is he calling you to make an impact? What does he want your life to do that you're only experiencing a tenth of? Because you just haven't gone. Because you're like, God, I don't know. I just don't think I have it. I don't belong. I don't believe. I don't have the talent. I don't have the skill. God's saying, you don't have to. I do. You just need to go. What would the world look like right now if God's people would have listened? What would that part of the world look like from a faith perspective if God's people would have gone? This is the 1040 window. 1040 window is one of the most hard-to-reach places for the gospel. You know where the gospel is growing like wildfire right now? Iran. We had a report the other day from the Finishing Fund. It, i got to send this out to you. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't sent this out to you yet. This is so amazing. There, there is a, a new people group they were, they were reaching in the Middle East, and they were talking with a, a gentleman uh, about Jesus that night 
Jesus came to him in a dream and said, I am here because I love you and your people. Jesus is having to appear to people in dreams in this part of the world because we haven't gone. Really? God says, go. Where's God calling you to go? Where's God calling us to go for us to step into? So I think some of us are sitting around thinking, God, show me your will. Tell me what you want me to do. God's like, I have. Arise and go. Make disciples. Baptize and teach them to follow me. And wherever your foot goes, I will be with you. So that's challenging to me. I hope it's challenging to you. God is saying this, that real faith is revealed by actions. So here's the question. What's holding you back? What's holding you back from stepping out? What's holding you back from stepping across the street? What's holding you back from stepping out and serving in the church? What's holding you back from talking to your neighbor about Jesus, investing your time in your community, and leading to change? And what do your actions reveal about your faith? Do you believe in God, which is important, or do you believe God? So God tells Joshua, arise and go, but he gives him one stipulation. And it's a really big stipulation. I don't want you guys to miss it. So draw back in with me here. One thing we must do. What do you think it is? Look at verse 7. He says this in verse 7. This is so good. If you've got, you got your highlighter, you need to highlight this. Verse 7 and 8. Notice what he says. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Like, yeah, that's it? Right? I'm getting ready to go take on a bunch of big dudes and giant, who eat giant grapes, right? Who look like Goliath. Just only be strong and courageous. Okay. Well, what does that mean, God? Notice. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law my word, God says, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you'll have what? Mediocre success. You'll like make it. You'll just barely get there. No, good success, he says. Notice what he says. He says, only be strong and courageous. How? Because you take my word with you. you only be strong and courageous. How? How, God, am I going to be strong? Because you're going to have my word, and you're going to do it, and you're going to meditate on it, and you're going to live it, and you're going to follow it. See how that works? Notice this. God says the key to all this success, the key to prosperity and success is following his word, is doing what he says, is listening to God's voice. Notice this. The difference between failure and success is whose plan you follow. That's got what God says right here to Joshua. Joshua, the difference between failure and success is this whose plan you follow. How many of you guys brushed your teeth before you came in this morning? Don't raise your hand if you didn't. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> your neighbor is like, man, he's eating a lot of mints. I mean, I got up late. What are you going to do? I read an article this morning, uh, not this morning, this week from USA Today, and it talked about what would you, and the article was this, what happens if you don't brush your teeth for a year? I hope you've never wondered that, right? Like, it's not something you should ever wonder. I think my kids wonder it, right? But yeah, or I wonder it for them. Anyways, the article was like, what happens if you don't brush your teeth for a year? And it found out, it, shocker, if you don't brush your teeth for a year, bad things happen, right? It's, it's not, not good for you. It, all kinds of bad stuff happens, right? You get respiratory illness, 
right? You get gum disease, gingivitis, teeth fall out. Like, like the, your teeth falling out is like the minimum of what happens. People get heart disease, right? People die of heart attacks from just not brushing their teeth for a year. If you're super healthy, maybe not. You might just lose your teeth, but it's still not good, right? And it's something as simple as literally brushing your teeth every day can, can lead to your life derailing, right? Not having any friends, right? Losing your job. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? And I know dental health is, dental insurance isn't cheap. Dental health is a challenge, but I'm just saying, at least we can brush our teeth. Now, I'm sure you guys are great teeth brushers, and I'm sure you have an appropriate amount of tartar for your fish sticks, but the idea behind it is you need to brush your teeth. And I, I think it just brings up this idea, right? Like, there, there's this concept that God has made the world to work in a certain way. You need to brush your teeth to stay healthy. God has made the world to work in a certain way. God has designed the universe to work in a certain way. So if you don't brush your teeth to get healthy, side effects. If you have babies before you're married, there's a chance that there are going to be some relationship challenges. If you try to make money illegally, you're going to face consequences. Like, I could go on and on and on. God has created a way. Now, when we do make mistakes, God forgives us. And when we do do things outside of God's plan, God gets us due direction. And God sets us on the right path when we look and follow his way. But God has created the world to work in a certain way. It's like what H.H. H. Swarmer says. I've showed you this quote before. I love it. He says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. We've all got scars from splinters. But what God is trying to show us is the way to success and the way to prosperity and the way to finding God's, to, to finding a life of joy and peace and fulfillment is following God's plan and not our own. See, God is showing us this. If you're taking notes, living by faith is a balance of divine operation and human cooperation. God's in control. God's running things behind the show, but we have to step in and do our part too. We have to step in and follow and do our part too. And so God says, Joshua, go, take the land, rise up, take my word with you, but you got to do it my way if you want the success that I promised you. It reminds me of a verse in 2 Peter when Peter says this. I don't have it on the screen for you, but he says that divine power has been granted to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Meaning, God has given you everything you need to accomplish everything he's called you to do. But we have to do it. We can't just wait for him to knock on our door or sit, drop it in our laps. Divine operation, human cooperation. So he says, Joshua, just go. Arise and go. Tell the people to go. Follow me because I am with you. But you've got to take my word with you. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. It's so good. Seriously, highlight it, star it, underline it. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it, highlight that one, meditate, day and night. So you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Notice what he says. He says meditate on it so you'll know it. Not like read through it really fast so you can say you did. Read through the Bible really fast so you can check the box. No, meditate on it so you can know it. So you can know what's written in it. So you can do it because when you do it, it leads to good success. It leads to prosperity. Notice how this works. It's meditating on God's word as you go that leads to success. The Hebrew word for meditate, it means to moan, to growl, to speak, or to muse. Like, imagine like a cat playing with like a little, little what do your cats play, what do your cats play with? Little dingy bells and, you know, you know what I'm talking about? 
just like tapping around, looking at it. And that's what it means to muse at something, right? Like to inspect it, to like spend some time with it, to, to look over it. The, the idea of like to moan, to growl. Have you heard, ever heard a cow eat? What do cows do when they eat? Mmm, right? They're not mooing at you. They're like, man, this is good. It's like me at GQ Barbecue, right? Like, oh, man, this is good. What are they doing? They're slowly eating it and digesting it, and it's really nasty, but then they throw it up and they eat it again. Don't do that. It's not good for your teeth, right? <laughs> Keep your toothbrush handy. But it's like this idea of, right, like we spend time. We don't just blitz through it so we can say we did it and check the box. We spend time meditating on it. We spend time considering it. We spend time digesting on it. But we also spend time speaking it. There's a quote. Here, I'm going to show it to you so I can tell you how bad of a quote it is. But it's pretty. It's a pretty picture. You guys heard this quote by Francis of Assisi? Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I get what he's saying, right? Like, live the gospel? Nonsense, right? That's nonsense. How am I going to preach the gospel without words? Like, be a good person, yes. Serve your neighbor, yes. Love your community, yes. Show Jesus that you're the hands and the feet, yes. But use words. The gospel has been given to us. God's given us this word so we can share it with other people. Preach the gospel and always use words, is I think what Jesus would say. Guys, the idea here is that we need to spend time in God's word so we know it, so we can live it, so we can tell it to ourselves, so we can also tell it to other people. So just a couple things. I don't know about you guys, but, but I like to listen to the Bible. I like to hear it while I read it. So I like to play it on the, on the version app while I read it. But have you guys ever read the Bible while you're reading it, read it out loud? It's amazing. Like I love to read the Bible out loud while I'm reading it. Because there's something about hearing it. Faith comes from hearing. So something about hearing it. But also, like when you pray, I like to pray out loud. Because I feel like I can, stay in, I can stay engaged longer. Like I think there's this idea, guys. We need to like just not even, not just, again, not let's do it. We need to spend time and we need to listen to the word. We need to read it out loud, pray out loud. Get God's word in your mouth. Because Psalm 119 says that then you can hide it in your heart. So we won't sin against him when we fall into temptation. I love Psalm 1. Man, if you guys need to memorize a psalm, Psalm 1 is it. Notice what David writes. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his what? Delight is in the law of the Lord and God's word. And on his law, what does he do? Meditates day and night. Just like he told Joshua. And what happens when you do that? It says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield in its fruit in its, yields fruit in its season and the leaf does not wither. And in all he does, he what? Prospers. Isn't that what God told Joshua? He prospers. He, he, he's successful. Growing up, we used to go to, I, I've, seen, I've showed this picture to some of you guys before. Growing up, we used to go to this big tree out, right outside of my hometown in Columbia, Missouri that was down by the Missouri River in McBain. It's over 100 years old. It stands like 100 feet tall. It's called the Burr Oak, and you can see it for, for a mile. And it's just so impressive. It just captivates you. And this, this, this Burr Oak is, is famous. It's, it's like 25 feet around, and how come it's lived so long and stood so tall and survived lightning strikes and all kinds of weather things? Because its roots are planted deep and it's drawn its nutrients from the Missouri River. And God says, you want to stand strong and weather the hard things of life and be strong and be courageous and be full of joy and peace? It's not about your circumstances in life. It's about where your roots are. 
It's about where you're drawing your nutrition from. And God says that all of that comes from his word because it's what teaches us how to live. The challenge we have to, to overcome, and that's why we're doing this series, is we have to begin to learn to follow God's plan, not ours. In our culture, in our world, and you and me, we like to believe that God's plan is going to hold us back, that God's plan is not going to allow us to live to the fullness that we want to live in. And I think what God's trying to help us to see is, no, it's God's plan that does. That if you want peace, and if you want joy, and if you want hope, and if you want perseverance, it's going to come from God's plan. So we live in a world that says, well, I want to make my own truth. But here's the problem. When you say, I make my own truth, you're denying the fact that the one who made you has given you the blueprint for your life. It would be like if all of us decided to say, well, we make our own truth. I, my truth is I don't want to stop for red lights anymore. Yeah, I, just, I think they hold me back, right? I'm not living my best life now because I have to stop. Now, what happens if we all said that? What would happen right out here at the corner of Wadsworth and Jewel, Right? We all would be in bad shape. Our culture is kind of in bad shape. Why is that? It's because we want to make our own truth. God tells Joshua, Joshua, you're going to do something that's so much bigger than anything you could ever do, and it's going to be as scary as you could ever imagine, but I'm with you. And if you take my word with you and you follow my way, I'm going to lead you to the place you need to be, and you're going to prosper, and you're going to have success. It's this beautiful thing. Now, this picture of prosperity and success that, that he's talking about here, it doesn't mean we're going to have big bank accounts. It doesn't mean that we're never going to get sick, that we're going to have everything we want, that everything we touch is going to be a gold record. We are not Bruce Dickinson. But what it does mean is that following God's plan for our life will lead us to where God wants us to go with deep, planted roots. And church, I wish we could learn to believe this. I wish we could get this. I wish I could get this too. What would it be like if we all believed this? We didn't just believe in God. We believed God. How would it look if we all stepped out and God says, arise and go, we went. And we didn't worry about how we felt. We didn't worry about whether we thought we belonged. We didn't worry about whether we thought we had the skill. But we trusted that it was God who gave us exactly all we needed. So notice, God calls Joshua, says, Joshua, rise and go. I'm going to be with you. Take my word with you. And then notice what he says in verse 90. He finishes off this command. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua, just go. Where do you want me to go? Just go. Because where you go, I'm going to be with you. Now, what do you think Joshua does? He goes. Look at verse 10. Joshua does this. Notice this. He commands his officers to the people. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions. For within three days you're going to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land. And that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Joshua doesn't just believe in God. Joshua believes God. He calls his officers. He says, hey, hey, a million people. We're going to cross that river right there. What do they do? They go. God parts the Jordan. Another beautiful picture of God rescuing his people. They go in. The army goes. They take Jericho. Do you know how they take Jericho? Totally wasn't Braveheart style. They walked around Jericho once a day for seven days. You know what they did? They blew trumpets, right? They basically like played guitars and sang kumbaya. That was like what they did, right? Then on the seventh day, they walked it seven times. They blew the trumpets and the walls fell down, right? 
Like, they did it God's way. You could look at that situation and go, there is no way you guys did this. It was all God. No way Joshua thought that it was all him. It was God's might. It was God's talent. It was God's abilities. And over the rest of the book of Joshua, we see them go, and they begin to take the land, the land that God promised to their forefathers 440 years before, 471 years to be exact, but a long time before. And we see that every time they got out in front of God, their army lost. And every time they let God lead them, their army won. And by the end of the book, they're living in houses they didn't build, farming farms they didn't farm. They pushed out all the evil wickedness, well, not all of it, but a lot of it around them. We'll talk about more of that next week, what kind of hangs, what still remains. But none of it was because of their own might. It was all because of God's. So go back and read Joshua. It's pretty good. It was just a little snippet. It's really good. So I guess here's the question for us. What would your life look like? And I don't want you to feel guilty or regretful by looking back. I want you to look forward. What would your life look like from now on, starting today? What would our life look like if we began to see what we are lacking in life? If we began to see what we are getting, what was holding us back from being the people that we knew God called us to be, to fulfilling the desires that God has given us in our hearts? What if we knew that what was holding us back wasn't your talent and it wasn't your skill? And it wasn't your ability, and it wasn't your charisma, and it wasn't your intelligence, but it was your commitment to keeping God's word first. And it was your commitment to doing what God has called you to do. And it was your commitment to meditating on the truth and learning to let that direct your steps. How would your life look differently in the future if today you made the commitment? to realize that the difference between failure and success was whether you arose and went. So I want you to ask yourself, what's holding back? Where's God calling you to go? What is God calling you to do? See, the beautiful reminder, guys, is that Jesus didn't stay home. That Jesus could have stayed in heaven and said, well, I hope they figure it out. But he didn't. That Jesus stepped into our mess and lived the life we couldn't live. And he went to the cross and died the death for us to take our sin away. And then when he rose from the grave, he defeated death. And he says to us, life is now yours because of me. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 20. He says, and now when you put your faith in me, I am with you always. I will always be with you. Anywhere your foot treads, I will be there so go, arise and go, and I'm going to be with you. So, so here, here's the challenge. What, what would this week look like for you if instead of sitting still, you went, and instead of remaining quiet, you spoke up? What would it look like for you if you put one foot after another and arose and went? So, so what is God calling you to do? You may be here today or you may be tuning online, and what God is calling you is, is to faith. He's calling you to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. For somebody else, maybe it's been a long time since you've spent time in God's word. It's been a long time since you've talked to God. And maybe God is calling you today to, to say, God, I'm sorry that I've drifted away, but I recommit my life to you. Maybe for some of you today, God is calling you to take a step of commitment, to step out and do that thing you know God is calling you to do. And even though you feel like an imposter, God is telling you, I am with you. But whatever it is, God is calling each of you today to arise and go. 
And the difference between failure and success is literally going. So I, I challenge you guys, this week, where is God stirring you up? Where is God calling you to go? Let's be a church that goes. Amen? Would you pray with me?